1 Samuel 11, 1 through 6. Now Nahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to him, I will make it with you on this condition, that I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you. Thus I will make it a reproach on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Let us alone for seven days, that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to deliver us, we will come out to you. Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and spoke these words in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and he said, What is the matter with the people that they weep? So they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. This is the word of the Lord. Now, in in 1 Samuel chapter 10, if you remember, we, we had Saul installed. Saul has been anointed to be the king in front of all the people. Remember, he's hiding behind the stuff or the baggage, and they go and they find him, and they anoint him to be the king, and it ended in disunity. It ended with some people being touched by the Spirit of God to sympathetically support him, and there's other who are, others who are scorning him. How can this man save us? How can, this, how can we serve this person as our king? And so this chapter is much different. The theme of this chapter is how the Lord unites his people under this new king by the power of of his spirit. And so let me give you three quick points. We'll work on these points tonight. First, the cruel oppression of Nahash the Ammonite. The cruel oppression of Nahash the Ammonite. Second, the spirit of the Lord is the difference maker. And third, the renewal of the kingdom. Let's start with Nahash the Ammonite. The cruel oppression of Nahash the Ammonite. You read there it says now Nahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. The word Nahash, the name Nahash, it means snake. (laughs) The snake came up to besiege Jabesh Gilead. Now it's very interesting. Jabesh Gilead is a city on the east side of the Jordan River and most of the tribes of Israel on the west side of the Jordan River. And so he senses this vulnerable situation. They're there alone, basically. They've never had anybody save them before, so it's a good chance that nobody ever will. So Nahash the snake is going to go against this vulnerable group of people. Now, it's interesting, take note, that he's an Ammonite. Do you know who the Ammonites are? Do you remember who the Ammonites are? This is the $1,000 million question, right? So Lot leaves Sodom and Gomorrah. He's saved, and his daughters scheme to have children by their father. They get him drunk, and through these illicit unions between the father and the daughters, they have two boys, one boy's name Ammon, one boy's name Moab. There's where the Ammonites are from. So these Ammonites, the Israelites do not hold them in high esteem, and the Ammonites hate the Israelites. And so when the Israel comes out of Egypt, the Ammonites do not help them. They do not give them any provisions. And also we understand that they hired Balaam to curse them. And so they avow, these are the avowed enemies of Israel. And so the snake is coming against Jabesh Gilead. And so we continue, verse 1. The men of Jabesh Gilead said to the snake, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. Now this is their initial attempt 
to handle what Nahash is doing. He's coming against them, and they're saying, hey, look, let's just make a covenant. We'll be your vassal. We'll serve you. We'll yield our allegiance to you. We'll chop your trees for you. We'll go out and do your crops for you. We'll go out and do all this stuff. Just make a covenant, and then we, can not, we don't have to worry about any further assaults. This is their initial attempt to handle the situation. They didn't consult the Lord. And if you'll remember, Israel has a covenant with who? Not Nahash. Israel has a covenant with the Lord. And the Lord has promised them if they will be faithful and loyal to Him. This is what He promises. Let me just give you a few quick snippets from Leviticus 26, 6-8 and Deuteronomy 28, 7. The Lord promised His people victory if they would be loyal to Him. If they would be loyal to the covenant God made with them, it says this, they would pursue their enemies and their enemies would fall by the sword. He says, God says, five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you will chase ten thousand and all your enemies will fall by the sword. They will come at you in one direction and they will flee away from you in seven. But Israel is given to a heart of compromise. They will make deals with the devil. They will make deals with the snake when they should have humbled themselves and repented of their sins because the only reason this guy is besieging them in the first place is because they are not obeying God as they ought. Well, the story continues. The snake agrees to their covenant with one condition. Remember what the condition was. I'll have your right eyes. I'll make a covenant with you, but I'll scoop out, literally scoop out your right eyes. And he wants to make it a reproach on all Israel. That's the condition. Is that acceptable? I'll make a covenant with you, but I want your right eyes. I'm going to take, I'm going to scoop your right eye out. And what he wants to do is he wants to injure them and make them unable to fight ever in the future. Now think about it. If you are, sorry left-handed folks, most people are right-handed, right? Most, most of us are. Sorry, Evan. And so people, Evan is left-handed. So you hold your shield in your left hand and you have your sword in your right hand and you sort of cover up your left eye and you use your right eye because you're right-handed, right-eye dominant and you use, this is how you fight. But if you lose your right eye, you have to lower the shield. You're vulnerable in battle. Not only are you going to be vulnerable, but now you can go out. You can chop wood with one eye. You can get crops in with one eye, but you don't have the precious right eye. And the other thing that this man wants to do is he doesn't just want to maim. He wants to insult the people of God. He doesn't want just their allegiance. He wants to scorn God's people. So let us think about some applications for a second. Consider the hatred of the world for the people of God. The world has a Nahash mindset for the people of God And this hatred never goes away. The world will insult, will maim, will scorn the people of God. Years ago, I I took this down. I thought it might be interesting to compare it to what's going on today. Brett Hume for Fox News reported on the time when Tiger Woods, the story broke that Tiger Woods was a womanizer. And this is what Brett Hume said. The extent to which Tiger Woods can recover seems to me to depend on his faith. He's said to be a Buddhist. 
I do not think that, that that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. So my message to Tiger would be this. Tiger, turn to the Christian faith and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. That is what Brett Hume said on Fox News. This is what happened when he said it. He was criticized, called a bigot. People were embarrassed at him. This is a white, this is a this is not the the young a young guy. This is a smart older man. They called him divisive, judgmental, and more. Now, that's mild compared to today. Congregation, listen, there's a Nahash mentality, and the world loves to mock Christians. Jesus says in John 15, 18, and 19, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. How are you going to make it through this? I'm going to, I'm going to cut this short, but how are you going to make it through this? Well, if you go back from John 14 back to John, I mean John 15 back to John 14, Jesus calls all those guys that are with him, he calls them his friends. And you and I can only make it if we're Jesus' friends. Second, I want you to consider a covenant with sin. Nahash is a vile master. And sin, too, is a vile master. Sin would love for us to make a covenant with us. Have, how many of you in the past months or years have said, I will make a covenant with sin and I will serve it? Anybody ever say that? You probably never have said that. But have you done it without thinking? This is the temptation. There's sins out there that we are to radically amputate, but we kind of live carelessly about them. We kind of procrastinate about them. We kind of indulge them. We know we need to get rid of them, but it's going to take an enormous amount of energy and prayer and vigilance to get rid of them. I mean, when it comes to work, folks, do you ever get there late, Christian person? <laughs> no. Do you always stay a little longer because you're going to do the job right? Yes. Do you ever procrastinate? Do you ever, are you ever like, no. Are you ever indecisive? Absolutely not. But when it comes to some of these sins, when oh, a little bit slow, don't really take care of it. And that's a temptation to just sort of, sort of be at peace with something that's sin. And we sort of fall into having made a pact with it. I want you to consider the wages of making a pact with a sin or sins. Proverbs 13, 15 says, The way of the transgressor is hard. Consider that if we sort of make a pact with sin, the way is hard. Sin is cruel, just like Nahash is cruel. Nahash will have your right eye. Sin will have your right eye. He will scoop out your right eye. He will only have one. <laughs> he won't take both. He just wants one. Do we call Nahash the merciful just because he wants one? Proverbs 12.10 says this, The kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. So Nahash in all of his kindness is cruel. Nahash the tyrant is just like sin. It is a tyrant. I want you to think about how hard it is when we make a covenant with sin. Before you continue in a covenant with sin, consider... The wages are hard. 
Do you think Adam and Eve ever thought about how bad it was going to be after they sinned in the Garden of Eden? Do you ever think that they ever thought that they would be so separated from God? Do you ever think that they ever were thinking about seeing one son kill another son? Did you ever think about somebody, think about drunkenness. A person can be drunk and commit a violent crime and then that person goes to prison and a wife has no husband and children have no daddy at home. I know a wealthy drug rep who used to be my Sunday school director. And the reason I know about him is because, you know what, he was on the 1969 National Championship University of Texas Longhorns. And then we come to find out that he had a secret sin going on. And he's removed from his job, and worse than that, he loses his family doctor, lawyer, I can give you other folks who had dishonesty in their lives and I was working them out in their homes. And the next thing you know, they're being destroyed almost. The way of the transgressor is hard. I don't think this is going to be a spoiler, but for all you guys who haven't seen Fireproof, finally the firefighter in Fireproof, what does he do to his computer? He takes a sledgehammer and he blasts it to pieces. Because he realizes pornography is going to destroy him and his home. He's going to lose everything. If we make a covenant with sin, we can lose right eyes. We can lose precious family. We can lose our integrity and our good name. The way of the transgressor is hard. Well, let's talk about the second point. This is where we talk about the spirit of the Lord. So in the negotiations with the snake, the elders of Jabesh-Gilead, verse 3, say, Let us alone for seven days, listen to this, that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then, if there's no one to deliver us, we will come out to you. You can have our right eyes. At least they had enough common sense to say, let us think about it. And so Nahash, he is so certain that nobody's going to come and deliver them that he'll just let them sweat it out for a week. So the Jabesh uh, Gilead messengers, they go to Gibeah of Saul. And the message was supposed to go to all Israel. But these Jabesh Gilead messengers go to Gibeah. And Jabesh and Gibeah, they have deep roots together because years ago, this is where they had a civil war take place. And Benjamin was at war with all the other 11 tribes of Israel. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And so... When all the fighting between Benjamin and all the other 11 tribes ended, there were only 600 men, male Benjamites, alive. And those men were given to the daughters of Jabesh-Gilead because Jabesh-Gilead did not enter in to the fight. And that would build up the Benjamite tribe again. So what we're saying here is these Jabesh-Gilead messengers went to Gibeah because there's relationships there, there's family there. In fact, more than likely, Saul is related to some of these messengers. And Saul is there, and it says in verse 5 that Saul heard all these men, all these messengers, and all the people weeping. And it says, what is the matter with the people that they weep? And they told him why they were weeping. And verse 6 tells us the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul mightily. And he became angry. The Bible here uses a word where it says the word that, that the Spirit came upon him mightily. It's only used of Samson and Saul. So here we have. Now, all the Spirit of God came upon all the other uh, judges in the book of Judges. 
But the Spirit of God came upon Samson and Saul in this way. So that Saul was superhuman. He was empowered to be the deliverer of Israel and the Savior from the snake. And so when the Spirit of God comes upon him, think about where he's at. We didn't read this. We did read it there, didn't we? What was he doing when the Spirit of God came upon him? He was behind oxen. Is, is that what kings do? Now remember back in this, this is right when, when the kingdom has just now started. There's no palace. There's no throne to sit on. He's out behind oxen. He's tired. The Spirit of God comes upon him, and he's inspired with one commentator says, God inspired rage. And he's going to go out, and he's going to win the victory for God's people against these evil men. And so with this burning rage, he tells them in verse 7 to send messengers and get the attention of the people. <laughs> and he takes a pair of oxen and he cuts them into pieces and he sends all the pieces throughout all Israel and says, this is what's going to happen to your oxen if you don't come and report for duty. And so all the men come, 300,000 men come, 30,000 men from Judah come, but 300,000 from Israel come, and they're all there. And then he says this in verse 9, he says, Send this message to get Jabesh Gilead and say to the men of, of Jabesh Gilead, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be delivered. And so all these people who are worried about losing their right eyes, now they know that a deliverer is coming. And so the folks go out that next day and they say to Nahash, Tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do to us whatever seems good. And Nahash just sort of waited till the next day. He's not really thinking about anything happening. And Saul comes at 2 a.m. in the morning. And from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. with three divisions, he destroys them all such that not even two of these men are left together. What was the difference? The Spirit of the Lord. That's the difference. Consider the difference that the Spirit of the Lord makes in the church. It's always wonderful to have gifted men in leadership of Israel, but think about it. The difference is not that Israel had a king. The difference is that the king had the Spirit. That's the difference. And the difference about our church right now is that we need the Spirit. I'll never forget reading about Charles Spurgeon now. Charles Spurgeon, he would climb up the steps to preach in the pulpit there in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And this is what he would be saying. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. He's repeat, repeating the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Ghost. And then he would get up there and preach. Now, there's no doubt that he was a gifted speaker and preacher. But what was the difference maker? Just his ability? Or was it the Spirit that was there with him taking his word and applying it to men? It's not this building, even though we want another building. We just got through praying for it, right? But would you rather be at kids or kids and have the Spirit? Or would you rather be somewhere else without it? We have plans, and we do plan, and God wants us to plan. But what are we trusting in our plans and our programs? Or are we going to trust in God's Spirit to have the power of God's Spirit, there's two things. I'll say this. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit, and we need to pay attention to the Spirit-inspired Word of God. The children's catechism asks this question, how can you get the help of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is God has told us we must pray to Him for the Holy Spirit. We can say in Luke 11, Jesus says, you know, you have earthly fathers, and if you ask them for things, they give it what you need. And He says, you have a heavenly Father, and if you ask for the Spirit, surely He will give you his spirit. So we need to pray to be filled with the Spirit, and we need to pray 
and pay attention to the Spirit-inspired Word of God. In fact, I, I won't turn there and show you this, but if you go and look at what it says in Ephesians 5.18, where it says to be filled with the Spirit, and then it goes go over to Colossians 3.16, it says be uh, richly filled with the Word of God. You can see the exact same results from being filled with the Word and being filled with the Spirit. Singing, saying thanks, speaking to one another, and being submissive. You can see both of them together. What do we need? We need both of these things always hooked together, the Word and the Spirit well, third, uh, second, consider the difference the Spirit makes against sin. If you realize that you're struggling with a sin, the only help that you have is the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 13, by the Spirit you are to put to death the deeds of the body. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to need Him to help you to put to death and amputate those things Jesus tells you to amputate. Preacher, I wrote down this. Are you telling me I need a second blessing experience? No, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you you need to be filled a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and over and over. I'm telling you to pray to God for the Holy Spirit and pay close attention to the Word of God or you will not be able to radically amputate any sin. Listen, it's much better for you to, follow me, spiritually take out your right eye than for Nahash to literally take out your right eye. <laughs> right? I remember one of the boys, <laughs> Isaiah's brother. Isaiah's brother came up to me one day and he says, I'm never going to forget something you said in a sermon. I said, well, what did I say? He said, I would rather you have a stupid phone than to have a smartphone. If you have a stupid phone that only calls people or a smartphone that will bring up all kinds of images you do not need to see, which one do you need? Throw the, have a stupid phone, more important than having a smartphone. But who can give us the power to have only what we need? Well, it's the Spirit of God. Well, consider the difference the Spirit makes in our salvation. This is a great, this is a great point. Because, do you know, Gibeah, where Saul came from, you know what some commentators call that place? Sodomburg. Sodomville. Maybe that takes a little explanation. Remember we said that the Benjamites were fighting against the other 11 tribes of Israel. Do you know why they were fighting? They were fighting because of perversion. There was perversion that took place in Gibeah. And when this, took, this perversion took place, the Benjamites were not sorry for it. They did not repent of it. And the other tribes came against them and said, Give the guilty men up. And when they wouldn't, all 11 tribes decided they must fight against the sin. Why would they do that? Because God would, would punish all the whole nation. So they went against the sinners and finally, when it was all said and done, there were only 600 Benjamites left. It all started in Gibeah. The perversion was there in Gibeah. But look where the salvation came from. <laughs> salvation came from Gibeah. Salvation came from a place where there had been shame and perversion. Do you remember what Nathan, Nathaniel said to Philip when Philip came to him and said, We found the Messiah Jesus of Nazareth. You remember what he said? He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We might say, can anything good come out of Sodomburg? Out of Gibeah? 
Well, something did. Salvation came out of this place where there's a scar. Sometimes we look at our lives and all we can see are our scars. We look and we see shame. We're prone to look at our misery and dwell on it. Well, let me just say this. You know, our past is worse than you think. It's worse than you think. But you have a Jesus who's better than you think. And he can take that bad scar and he can take that bad place and he can bring light out of it. So remember that. Well, finally, this is a good point to end on. It's a good point to begin the week on. The renewal of the kingdom. Samuel is listening to what Saul is saying. The prophet. And he says this in verse 14. He says, come let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. Why would he say that? Well, let me tell you why. Because he's listening to Saul. And Saul had attributed the victory to who? Not to himself. But he attributed the, attributed the victory to to the Lord today, not I have rescued Israel, but to this day the Lord has rescued Israel. And I mean Samuel, he quickly, he leaps on that statement. You remember in chapter 10, we had the disunity, those who scorned him and those who were sympathetic towards King Saul. And here we have this victory and Saul is saying the right thing. In fact, many who understood that there were those who had opposed Saul were ready to kill the discontents. And this is what Saul said. No one shall be put to death today, for, the, for the, this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Now, folks, this represents the high point of all of Saul's ministry. This is it. If he keeps talking and doing like this, if he keeps acting and thinking this way, it'll be a great kingdom if he keeps doing that. He does not want to put to death those who would oppose him. He is magnanimous. He's large-hearted. This is so much better. Chapter 7 is so much better than chapter... I mean, chapter 11 is better than chapter 10. The prophet reminded the people that not only do they have a king God selected, but they have a king God selected empowered by his spirit. They were, he was reminding them of the invisible king who's over them all the time. Well, before we go, consider your need to daily renew your allegiance to King Jesus. Every morning when you wake up, every night when you go to bed, every time you read and do a devotional, every time you read and study theology, every time you read your little golden booklet, every time you do a family devotion, every time you come and worship in the morning, every time you come and worship in the evening, every single time, make sure you remind yourself and renew your allegiance to King Jesus. All the time. Say with the psalmist, I will follow your righteous laws. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this powerful message from your scriptures. We thank you for your spirit being the difference maker. We thank you for teaching us to renew our allegiance to King Jesus every single day. We pray, Father, that we would be those who do not make a covenant with any sin, but would by your spirit put all sin away from us and live for your glory and for your honor. 
Take us out of this place, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us those who pay close attention to your Spirit-inspired Word. And Lord, may we, as we leave this place, be delighting in you. Help each one as we go to our separate jobs tomorrow. Protect us in driving. Bring us home safely and help us to be lights out in every place we go. Whether we're in our homes or teaching in a school or Lord praying for our family members or taking classes. Many of us are taking classes. Lord, help us to bless your name in all that we do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.